So back when I was a youth pastor, uh, there was a particular junior high student, and um, this junior high student um, heard the gospel. We taught about the gospel and how you ask Jesus into your heart and how you learn uh, about what he did for you, and he did that. And he came to me, he said, Pastor Dan, I'd like to begin a relationship with God. Will you help me do that? How do I do that? And I said, sure, you uh, begin by praying this prayer, and then you walk that prayer out with your life. And he said, sure, let's do that. So we prayed. Uh, he gave his, his life to Christ, and uh, I gave him a Bible, and I said, start reading the book of Mark. Take a chapter of Mark each day and read it so you get to understand who Jesus is and what you just did. And, and he said, great, I'll do that. And the next week he came back, uh, and he said, Pastor Dan, we have a real problem. And I said, well, what's the problem? He said, it didn't work. He said, I still sin." And we kind of chuckle at that, but I think a lot of us feel that way as Christians, don't we? We feel like if I gave my life to Jesus, if I'm walking with God, all of a sudden there should be this big magical thing that happens and I stop sinning and I live exactly like Jesus. And because I don't stop sinning, I wonder, did this really, really work? And if I do sin, how can I still be a Christian? And seeds of doubt are planted in that moment. And then we start thinking, well, I am behaving no different than I did before I was a Christian. I feel no different than I did before I was a Christian. And I act sometimes no different than before I was a Christian. So does this Christianity stuff really, really work? Does it work? Is it real? And the truth is, the Christian life on earth is not a total absence of sin or a walk of perfection, but rather it is a walk of progress. Let me say that again. The truth is the Christian life on earth, in this moment where we live, is not a total absence of sin or a walk of perfection, but rather a walk of progress. And the Apostle Paul in our text today that Abby just did a great job reading, pulls that out and shows us that so wonderfully. We are in a series called a life worthy of the gospel, where we're learning what does it mean to live a life worthy of the gospel, and we're taking a look at the book of Philippians and pulling four key practices out of it that help us to do that, that help us to live a life worthy of the gospel. Two weeks ago when we started, we looked at think eternally, that in order to live a life worthy of the gospel, we have to think eternally. Then last week we looked at walk humbly. In order to live a life worthy of the gospel, we have to walk humbly. Today, we're looking at our third one, which is grow consistently. To live a life worthy of the gospel, we have to grow consistently. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open up to Philippians 3, if you haven't already. And I'm on page 1041 in the Worship Center Bibles, if you're using what we have in front of you. The call of a follower of Jesus is a call to keep growing. The call of a follower of Jesus is a call to keep growing. When we plant a tree and it doesn't bloom, we say something's wrong, and we try to figure out what's wrong with the tree. When a cow is born and it doesn't grow, the farmers and vets get together and say, what's wrong with this cow? And they try to figure out what's happening. When a baby is born and is not growing, doctors go into action, and there's plans put together to help this baby grow. When a flower is planted and doesn't bloom, we say, what is wrong? Something isn't right. And when a Christian is not growing, something is wrong. 
And so we have to look at how we grow as a Christian. And Paul in this letter gives us a great picture of what that means. This morning you're going to learn three theological words that every Christian needs to know. You're going to learn three theological words that every single Christian needs to know and understand for us to grow. These are extremely important. So important that every membership class at Crossview Church, we go over this. Three important theological words that every Christian needs to know. My wife teaches four-year-olds, and I learned so much from her. She's great at doing that. And um, she, I love hearing how she develops uh, four-year-olds in, education, in the education process of them. And one of the things she talks to them about is she says, there's a thinking part of our brain and a feeling part of our brain. And we have to use both those. We use the thinking part and we use the feeling part. And I thought, you know, adults need to hear that as well, right? Because sometimes we camp on one side of that or the other. Because God created us in such a way that some of us are prone to be more thinkers and some of us are prone to be more feelers. And what can happen is if we're more feelers, we say, well, we don't need that thinking stuff, I'm just a feeler. And if we're a thinker, we say, I don't need that feeling stuff, I'm just a thinker. But to do Christianity well, you have to be a good thinker and you have to be a good feeler. You have to feel well and think well. So if you're a feeler, your growth challenge in Christianity is to become a good thinker. And if you're already kind of a natural good thinker, your growth edge is to become a good feeler. We have to do both. And so what I'm going to present you today is kind of good thinking for Christianity. It's the, how we think as Christians and how we understand this thing called the gospel. However, when you understand the thinking part of this, it makes the feeling part explode in worship. Because you understand then what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. And when you connect those two together, that understanding, all of a sudden it engages that feeling part. So, but we start with the thinking part, and that's something we have to do as we go here. So to give you a little uh, background of what we're diving into, let's look at the first few verses starting at chapter 7 of Philippians chapter 3. Follow along with me as I read this. Paul says, But in everything that was a gain to me, I have considered to be a loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him, I suffered the loss of all things and considered them as dung, so that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own from the law. I can't earn righteousness by following the law, but one that is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. That's what I live by. My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, assuming that I will somehow reach the resurrection from among the dead. So what's happening here is there's a group of false teachers talking to this church that Paul's writing this letter to, and they're saying things to them like, you need more than just Jesus to be a good Christian. You need Jesus and what he did on the cross, but you also have to add to that some religious Jewish practices. You can't disregard the past. You have to add these Jewish practices with the faith of Jesus, and then you will be a good Christian. And what Paul does in the verses before this, in 4, 5, and 6, he lays out this list of all the religious accomplishments he has. 
And he's doing this to say to these, this church, don't listen to those people. Let me tell you something. I have all the religious accomplishments they're saying you need to have, and it's nothing compared to the righteousness of Jesus. In fact, it's garbage. It's dung. He uses a really, really bad word for number two there. In Greek, it's called skubala. He's saying it's garbage. My perfections, imperfections that I try to make perfect, all my efforts to try to become righteous are garbage. They're done compared to the righteousness of Jesus. So we don't hang on to what I can produce. I look to what Jesus can do. Do you want Jesus' perfection or do you want human attempt at perfection? Is what Paul is laying out here. And Paul is saying humans can't be perfect. And anything close to the perfection they can come up with is dung in comparison to the amazing righteousness of Jesus that he gives us. So when you give your life to Jesus Christ, something happens. And that's our first word. The thing that happens is a thing called justification. Now I know not everyone's going to be able to see this perfectly, but it's, we're going to give it the best we can here. So when you come to faith in Christ, when you understand the gospel, you understand what Jesus did, and you say, yes, I want to be a Christian, and you pray a prayer to invite Jesus into your heart, you do two things. You repent, and you say, God, I want to turn from my sin, and I want to turn to you, and you believe. You say, I believe you are the Son of God who died on the cross for me. And I, it's not just an intellectual belief, but I'm believing with my whole heart and life in who you are. It's like I'm believing into Jesus. When you do that, in that moment, something happens. It's a glorious thing, and it's called justification. It happens at that point. Justification. When you ask Christ into your life, boom, you are justified. Justification means to be declared righteous. You are declared righteous, meaning that the righteousness of Jesus Christ that he had when he lived the perfect life on earth now is applied to you. You are covered in the righteousness of Christ the moment you invite him into your life. You are justified. It's a one-time occurrence. You don't have to keep being justified over and over and over. The minute you give your life to Christ, boom, you are declared righteous. It's complete and perfect in this life. It's not that you get more and more justified as you go. You have the full justification and righteousness of Jesus the moment you come to faith in him. Boom, one-time act. It's the same among all Christians. There aren't some Christians that are justified more than others. We are all equally declared righteous because of what Jesus Christ has done. You can't earn this. You can't do things to increase your righteousness or earn righteousness. It's given freely by a gift of grace from God. God looks at you and out of grace he saves you and he declares you as righteous. Sometimes people think I gotta make myself better before I give my life to Christ. No, you can't earn justification. You can't earn relationship with God. That's what Paul's saying. It's garbage. Just come as you are, ask him into your life, and boom, you are justified. Now, a key sentence with this is that in justification, what's happening is I am being saved from the penalty of sin. These three words we're going to look at are called the three tenses of salvation, tenses, T-E-N-S-E-S, past, present, future. This is past. I am saved, past tense, from the penalty of my sin. 
That's justification. You are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. You can't earn this. The minute you say, God, forgive me, enter my life, boom, you are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. And now, positionally before God the Father, you stand not in your imperfect attempts to be righteous, but you stand in the absolute perfection of Jesus Christ. You have peace with God because of what Jesus did, not because of what you bring to the table. Because what we bring to the table is not good enough. To get into heaven and stand before God and have peace with God the Father, a holy God, you have to be absolutely perfect. Because he is absolutely righteous. You will never get to heaven unless you are absolutely perfect. And that creates a big problem because none of us are. We need a perfection to get into heaven, but we have a double problem because we can't create that perfection within us, though so many people try. We need a perfection outside of ourselves. That's a solid perfection, and we have that in the perfection of Jesus Christ in him alone. That's what it means to become a Christian. That's what it means to be justified. You give your life to Christ, and now this righteousness that is Jesus, that's from Jesus is now clothed over you. You are brought into Christ. So now you stand before the presence of God the Father as righteous in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, not your imperfection. That's what gains you heaven. That's what makes you righteous. What he did for us, clothed in it, that's the gospel. He gives us that. So we place our faith in him and we are justified. It is important to understand that that happens and then like that junior high student, when you sin, you don't lose your justification. That doesn't go away. We're going to get to what happens in a minute. But it's important to understand one sin does not take away your justification. Nothing takes away your justification when you are a true Christian. Martin Luther had this phrase that was so helpful it was in Latin, and what it means is you are righteous and sinner at the same time. You carry the righteousness of Jesus, so positionally before God you are righteous, yet you are working out that salvation in sinless imperfection, or sinful imperfection while you are here on earth. It's not that true Christians never sin. It's that true Christians don't want to live in sin. As Christians, when we sin, we don't lose our justification. We're placed in Christ. But when we sin, what we lose is our fellowship with God, as it says in 1 John. So when we sin, we have to repent to regain fellowship with God, but we don't lose our justification because of a sin. We are justified through the cross of Jesus Christ. True Christians want to be free from sin and honor Christ. That's why once we are justified, we enter into a process. And that's what Paul talks about next. Look at verses 12 to 16. Paul says, not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already perfect. I'm not perfect in this life, is the apostle Paul. But I make every effort to take hold of that perfection. I want to work towards it because I've also been taken a hold of by Christ Jesus. Because of what he gave me in justification, I want to become more and more like that. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and reaching forward to what is ahead, 
I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let all of us who are mature think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you. Let us dive into these three words, he's saying. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have obtained. Paul is saying, I've not obtained sinless perfection in this life. The Christian life on earth is not evidenced by sinless perfection. In this life, following Jesus means constant progress. I'm growing towards perfection. I'm not perfect now. He says, I make every effort to take hold of it. I put forth effort to become more Christ-like. He says, I see this justification Jesus gave me. I understand I can't earn it. I can't make it stronger. But I strive to walk in it fully. When I blow it, I repent. And I ask forgiveness so that fellowship is restored. And then I don't let my failure mark me. I move forward and set as my goal, sinless perfection, that I will get to one day when my life on earth is done and Jesus returns. And I work towards that. You see, he says back in chapter 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Take this justification and work it out. Put forth effort to get more and more like Christ. You see, there's this false idea that has run around a lot in evangelical churches. And it came from a good place, but like most things, it got twisted into a bad place. The good place is, for a lot of times, we thought we had to earn our salvation, by good works and doing good things and hoping our good outweighs our bad, we have to earn justification. And so we said, no, that's wrong, and it is wrong. You get justification not by doing good things, but by receiving the gift of grace from God. You can't earn justification. It's a gift from God. And so we said, I'm not going to earn. I'm just going to receive this. And that's true. But then we swung the pendulum there, and we said, so now I don't have to grow as a Christian. I just let go and let God. I'm just going to attend because if I work for it, that's earning it. I don't want to earn it, so I'm not going to do anything. I'm just going to stand here and let God perfect me and make me more like Jesus. And that's an inaccurate thought. That's not the Christian life. Something happens after justification. Dallas Willard says, grace is not opposed to effort. It's opposed to earning Grace is not opposed to the efforts to become more like Christ after we're justified. What grace is opposed to is trying to get here based on your own efforts. So let me show you what I mean. It's the second theological word that every Christian should know, and it's sanctification. Sanctification means to be made holy. The minute you are justified, the minute you ask Christ into your life and you're declared righteous, you are immediately put on a process of sanctification. Justification is a one-time act. Sanctification is a process that goes on your whole entire life here on earth. Justification happens, God saves you, boom. Then you enter a process throughout this life called sanctification where you are being made more and more holy. You are growing closer and closer to perfection. This is the goal that Paul was going for, this goal of perfection. And sanctification is this process where you grow more towards perfection in Christ. It's greater than some, uh, in some Christians and others. Unlike justification, that's the same in all believers, 
Sanctification is different. There's some Christians that are more sanctified than others. Whether it's that they've been walking with God longer, whether it's they're putting more effort into growing, but there's some that are more sanctified than others. Good works play a piece here because they're evidence that this happened. You don't get this by your good works. You're not justified by your good works. But once you're justified, your heart is changed and converted where you start to do good works in sanctification. It's part of growing as a believer. Now, back here in justification, remember I said, this is past tense. I am saved from the penalty of sin. In sanctification, it's present tense. I'm being saved from the power of sin. So it's this process of being saved and working out that salvation. Sanctification is a process where we cooperate with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's still doing work. But to become more and more holy in this life, to become more and more like Jesus in his life, I cooperate with the Holy Spirit in sanctification to grow that direction. We put effort into sanctification. It's not that we just sit and let God do it. Human effort and submission plus divine power equals Christ-likeness and spiritual growth. We need all of that. So we do things. We come and gather for worship. We read and memorize scripture. We pray and ask God for his help. We reflect and meditate on the Bible. We serve in ministry. We repent when we sin. All of these things are things we do in this process to get more and more like Jesus. Just like physically, to grow physically and get healthy, you have to be intentional about doing things like eating right and exercising and getting rest. To grow spiritually, you have to be intentional about growing your faith through reading the scriptures, doing worship, praying, being with God. We do put effort into that. Divine power plus human cooperation equals Christ-likeness. We cooperate with the Holy Spirit. Now, it'd be really, really nice if sanctification looked nice and clean like this. We ask Jesus Christ into our life, and then all of a sudden we sin less and less and less and less and less and less and less, and now we're perfect. That'd be awesome if it was like that. But it's not. Sanctification looks like this. That's sanctification. There's moments where you're here and you're at worship night and you're saying, wow, I feel God's presence so much. It's almost like I'm tasting heaven and I don't want to do anything in terms of sin. I'm not tempted. I just feel I want to know Jesus more and more. You're on this like high and then all of a sudden, right after that, you go and you leave this place and boom, you're down in the lowest spot and you're saying, what in the world am I doing? Did this even take? Am I even a Christian? Yes, you are. You're just in sanctification. You didn't lose this. You're growing. And the idea is you trend towards Christ. Like there has to be this trend, but it looks messy. The best example I can give you about sanctification is a sailboat. When people are on a sailboat, the people on the boat work to get the sail up. But then the wind comes that they can't control, hits the sail and carries that boat and they fly. It's just like that in the Christian life. We put up the sail by praying. We put up the sail by reading and memorizing scripture. We put up the sail by getting involved in ministry and serving. 
And then when we do that human effort, the Holy Spirit comes and catches that, and we fly, and we move towards this perfection. But we have to put up the sails. And then he comes. There's this cooperation that happens. But it's not clean and perfect like the black line. It's messy like this red line. We see the messy parts in Paul's life too. In Romans chapter 7, the apostle Paul, the one who wrote this, this is what he said. He said, for I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil I don't want to do. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? He wrote that when he was down here. That's sanctification. It looks like that. The junior high student, it didn't work. No, it did work. You're justified. You just got down here. You're in a process. When you are justified, you're declared righteous, saved from the penalty of sin, and then in that moment, you enter a process called sanctification where you are slowly but surely being saved from the power of sin. Of course, we would all want it to happen instantaneously, right? We often say, as soon as I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this question. A good question is, God, when we do this, how come we don't immediately go right there? The truth is when we get to heaven, we'll probably forget all of our questions. It'll be too glorious to worry about all of our questions on earth. But that's one that I think I would ask. We see this process happening throughout Paul's writings. In 2 Corinthians, he says this, we all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are, look at it, being transformed. Process being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. This is from the Lord who is the Spirit. Sanctification in the process. After justification, word one, there is sanctification, word two, and now we get to our third theological word. Look at our text again in verse 17. It says, Join in imitating me, brothers and sisters, And pay careful attention to those who live according to the example you have in us. For I have often told you, as I now say again with tears, that many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. They blow off all this. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is their shame. They are focused on earthly things. I think what Paul's talking about is he's talking about people who have not yet experienced here and people who have experienced here but are never growing. He's saying there's something more going on. Look at verse 20. Because our citizenship, again, he's talking to veterans here in the book of Philippi to this church. They know citizenship. They're in Roman Empire. They have citizenship drilled in their head that you're citizens of Rome. And now he's flipping that. And he's saying our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly wait for our Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at verse 21. What is he going to do? He will transform the body, glorification, of our humble condition into the likeness of his glorious body, glorification, by the power that enables him to subject everything to himself. We see here our third word, which is glorification. Glorification means to magnify God and his works. It happens here. It's the final word. It means we are made perfect. When we hit glorification, we hit sinless perfection. No more sin, no more sickness, no more suffering. That's what happens in glorification. 
This takes place completely when Jesus returns. When Jesus comes again, as we talked about in our last series in the book of Revelation, when he comes again in that moment, Christians who are in heaven will be united with their bodies and they'll all of a sudden have glorified bodies. Christians who are on earth at that time will all of a sudden be transformed into a glorified body where you will not sin anymore. That's where it completes. That's where it takes place where you stop sinning. It's the final step in Jesus' redeeming work. And in glorification, what we say is, I will be saved from the presence of sin forever. Justification, I am saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, I am being saved from the power of sin. Glorification, I will be saved from the presence of sin forever. See, you have to have all this. All of this is salvation. All of this is the gospel. When you give your life to Jesus Christ, you get all three of these. You get justified, then you enter this cooperation process with the Holy Spirit, and then at the end, you receive that glorified body. Three words every Christian needs to know. Justification, I am saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, I am in the process of being saved from the power of sin. Sin affects me less and less and less as I keep growing. And glorification, one day, one day, one glorious day, I will be saved from the presence of sin forever and ever. These three words are imperative to the follower of Jesus. When we are saved and become Christians, we get all of that. And that's why we praise him. So why is this important? For many reasons, but here's a few. Number one, you need to understand this if you're going to grow. You need to understand the growth process. Otherwise, you hit this valley and you think it didn't work and it didn't take. You need to understand what it means to be saved. The Christian life operates this way. You also need to understand this to help others who come to faith, who are trying to figure this thing out. Number two, knowing this draws you closer to God. When you see this whole plan and how God understands and you see the apostle going to the depths of, of wanting so badly to be holy and then climbing up and with the power of the Spirit and getting there, it draws you closer to God. You understand him more. And number three, knowing this prevents confusion and doubt like my junior high friend. Here's what I mean by that. If you don't understand this, you could pick up your Bible and start reading. And then all of a sudden you hit a verse like this, where it says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And then you say, I'm not conformed to the image of his Son because I'm sinning. It must not have worked. Christianity doesn't work. But you have to realize that's talking about glorification. That's talking about up here. That's a verse that's about up here. You're going to get there. It's not in the here and now. Paul's talking about we will be predestined to be glorified. It's like this when you hit this verse. My children, I am again suffering the labor pains for you until Christ is formed in you. And you say, Christ isn't formed in me. It didn't work. No, this is a sanctification verse. Christ is being formed in you. It's a process. It doesn't happen instantaneously. 
Or you get to this verse where it says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And you say, well, if Christ lives in me, I wouldn't be sinning. I still am sinning. You've got to understand, no, this is about the promise of justification. That when you are saved, you are declared righteous. You are crucified with Christ. And now the Christian life is not you living it out, but it's Christ who's justified you, living it out through you into sanctification. It's important that we know these three words. Justification, sanctification, glorification. And Jesus does all of this. Justification, being declared righteous. We are saved from the penalty of sin. Sanctification, we are becoming more and more holy in a process. And glorification, where we are made perfect and free from the presence of sin forever. So what is one thing we can do intentionally now to start this? We have to understand, if you're a Christian and you're here, this already happened. You're justified. If you're a Christian and you're here, you will get glorification. It will take place. Right now, in the here and now, we're in sanctification. So what do we do as Christians in the process of sanctification? Well, I encourage you, if you haven't already, to join us in the Crossview Bible Reading Plan. We have a great Bible reading plan you can access on our website. It lays out a process. We're reading through the New Testament and the Psalms together. It's a great way to spend time each day, Monday through Friday, opening God's word, asking God to conform you into the image of Christ, asking him to help explain what you're reading. And you could open up the Bible and as a church family, we read and grow together. And then I encourage you to pray, to talk to God, but not just talk to God, but be in his presence. We're gonna talk more about that next week. And then reflect on what you just read. Don't just read the Crossview Bible reading plan and go, okay, good, I'm moving on pause. Let it sink. As you let it sink, you catch the wave. It's like putting the sail up. Pray, read, reflect. That's what we do in the process of sanctification. All in submission to the Holy Spirit, asking him to help make us more like Jesus. In order to live a life worthy of the gospel, we have to grow consistently as believers. Let's pray.